Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Sarah Keogh, and we're going to be talking about how eating meat can save the planet through regenerative agriculture. Sarah originally began her career working in environmental conservation, but now supports patients as a functional nutritionist in her eco-nutrition practice. Her profound appreciation for how natural ecological systems function has helped her to embrace the vitally important connection between soil health and human health and she loves sharing this knowledge with others. Sarah has a comprehensive understanding of the health benefits of consuming foods with high nutrient density and how to help clients restore and rewild their microbiomes. An integral part of her practice involves educating her patients on the value of consuming foods grown and produced responsibly as an essential component of their healing process. She also utilizes advanced functional testing in her practice to address the root cause of her patients' issues to regenerate their health from the ground up. Sarah is passionate about connecting our farming communities with the healthcare community as she truly believes that regenerative farmers are healers of the planet and play a pivotal role in restoring human and ecological health. This central theme animates her client consultations, lectures, blogs, and webinars. Sarah is also a technical advisor for understanding agriculture and writes blog articles, educates through webinars, and they often host in-person workshops through their Soil Health Academies. I really hope that you enjoy this super informative podcast with Sarah Keogh. And Sarah and I got the opportunity to meet just about a month ago at Polyface Farms, where I just had one of the best weekends of my life, where we connected about health and regenerative agriculture, and we were in such a lovely setting. So it's just so nice to connect with you again, Sarah. It's it's really an honor to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. And I know it was so exciting. I knew you are going to be there. And you've been so influential in my career and helped make me a better practitioner, truly. So it was an honor to meet you and it's an honor to be on your show. Oh, well, thank you. And so we have so much to cover and I know that you have so much knowledge, not only passion, but really, you know, true knowledge in the topic that we're going to be discussing. And as you know, I'm a naturopathic doctor, I do, you know, fit in the realm of functional medicine and biological medicine and talk about, you know, so many foundations of health. And of course, the conversation of nutrition and diet is something that we all connect on. And I think the more we learn, the deeper we need to go with our education on this topic, especially now. And so to just introduce the audience to this term regenerative agriculture, it's a beautiful term, and I know it gets thrown out a lot, but what is regenerative agriculture? culture mean to you? Why does like anyone doing holistic medicine or functional medicine or naturopathic medicine really need to have this as part of the conversation of um, all of our patients' health? Oh, well, such an important topic, yeah, to bring into this field. And I'm always on this mission to unite the agricultural communities with sort of functional integrative communities. And it is important to define what regenerative agriculture is because it is becoming a little bit of a buzzword now that people are getting familiar with it and just kind of like how organic, unfortunately, and sustainable agriculture, you know, quote unquote, became this buzzword. But regenerative agriculture, really, simply, it's farming with nature. It's learning to work with nature instead of working against nature. And that's going to sound very familiar 
to a lot of your audience because that's what I think we're doing in functional medicine, right? We're trying to work with the body's natural rhythms and our natural ecosystem. Whereas unfortunately, more conventional mainstream medicine is going has been going a different route for a long time, right? And there's the same kind of dynamic and unfortunately sort of battle, you know, between the conventional agricultural communities and regenerative agriculture communities. But we're trying to go a different route and get farmers to understand more about soil health. Soil health is essentially at the foundation of regenerative ag. So, you know, we got to kind of forget these terms sustainable and, and go more with regenerative because we're regenerating soil, we're regenerating ecosystems, and we're essentially going to regenerate health, you know, human health, planetary health in so many ways. Essentially, regenerative operation, it should look no different than a natural ecosystem. If you step foot on a regenerative farm, it should look like you're in nature. And we should see diversity, both in plants and animals. We should see plenty of insects, particularly pollinator species. We should see flowering plants, you know, during the active growing season. And I think perhaps most importantly, we should see livestock. We should see animals on the land and they should be managed properly. And we can kind of get into that a little bit, but they need to be grazed properly in a way that doesn't degrade land and can actually rapidly regenerate soil. And ecosystems. I mean, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. And I think the hard part for consumers is that there is no certification program for this, right? We don't have a regenerative certification. So you're not going to walk into a store and see, oh, is this regeneratively raised meat? Is this a regeneratively grown carrot? We don't, we don't have that yet. And it's debate. There's a big debate right now within the regenerative ag community of how can we even, you know, make something like that happen. It's the whole other topic. But I think the best way right now that consumers are going to be able to guarantee they're getting good food quality is to know your farmer. Mm. You just have to get to know your farmer and get out there, get your butt out at a farmer's market, get to know your farmers and find out who is farming with nature. Talk about soil, go to their farms. Those are the conversations I want to see happening more, you know, within our, our community of functional medicine. Yeah, really well said. And, you know, as I sit and hear you talk, you know, it seems it's just we've gotten to this point where it seems so obvious, right? Farming, you know, like how did we get so far off track, right? You know, and that's probably a whole other- Money, money, money. I know, (laughs) a whole other conversation, right? And I love this conversation and bringing this into the health sphere because, you know, I often share when I speak or when I'm talking to patients that, you know, our physical bodies are really a reflection of the, you know, planetary system that we're all interconnected with and how off track we've gotten, right? And so when we- yeah. Look at a lot of our patients' health. We look at their ecosystems within their body, their yeah. you know soil, if you will, their terrain, their microbiomes, and they're completely out of balance. And that's a big part of our our work that we do with our individual health. And I think we're at a critical time on the planet that we have to open up the conversation of like, how did we get here? First of all, how did our bodies get here? And when we're doing this work on our body, like we, we can't not acknowledge that connection, you know, with the land and with our food supply. And it wouldn't it be, you know, lovely that every doctor's office is asking you where you get your food, <laughs> you, yes, know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's just that, that fundamental. And so you know, there's so many things I want to talk about and share. And so one of, I guess one of the things that, you know, struck me, so I, it was the first time I'd been to Polyface. I know that you've been there a lot and, you know, Joel really told the story, right. Of his farm. And it's a very popular story. You can go figure that out if you haven't um, heard it, if you're listening, but he talked about how basically his land was 
very not fertile. It was clay. It was really, you know, it was in really bad shape. And through these practices, he literally regenerated his land. And a big part of that was his work with the animals and his work with livestock. And I know, especially in the health field, there's so much confusion about not only the quality of the food, but what to eat. And there's been a popularization about plant-based diets and moving um, away from animal-based products. And, you know, why should we be thinking about this whole conversation differently? And how do really livestock play an integral role in regenerating the land? Yeah. Oh my God. There's so much I want to say to what you just said, but yeah, I mean, that was beautiful too. What you said about, yes, we need to be thinking about how our body is a reflection of our world around us. And Man, I mean, it's just, there's these soil health principles when you really get into regenerative ag and, you know, what soil health is all about. And, you know, obviously this is where it can get really, I can get really down on all the, you know, yeah. agricultural stuff, but I want to focus on the, the livestock because it's such an essential part of regenerating soil. But, you know, we don't want to disturb our soil too much with tilling. There's things like cover crops that help cover and protect the soil, kind of like a skin on the soil. We want root, living root systems deep in the soil. And we want diversity. Like these are all key kind of soil health principles. And the one thing that's absolutely essential is livestock. That's the other soil health principle is having livestock and knowing how to manage them. You don't want to overgraze. You want to know when to move your animals. And so I am a technical advisor with Understanding Ag. And they're an organization that's basically consulting with farmers. They're a consulting operation that teaches farmers how to do all this, right? Farm with nature and to adopt these principles and kind of make that transition um, sometimes away from conventional operations, but sometimes just, you know, starting out with, you know, whatever degraded land like Joel and, and learning how to, you know, just, just regenerate these ecosystems so that your land's really flourishing. And Alan Williams, who's one of the partners with Understanding Ag, he I think coined this term adaptive grazing. Adaptive grazing is really an adaptive stewardship is learning how to basically adapt your your techniques to what's happening and, and observe your land. So you go out and you look, you know, how far have they grazed down? What is going on, you know, with the diversity? When do I need to move my animals? Like I said, I can geek out on that and I don't want to yeah. spend too much time talking about that. But what I really want to point out though is that when animals are on a diverse pasture. And this is where I like to talk about food quality, actually, because the grass-fed label is getting very, very greenwashed, unfortunately. Kind of back to one of your points about one of the questions we should be asking in our clinics, where do you source your food from? Well, let's also teach people what labels to look for. And we, as practitioners, we need to learn how to do that too. We can't just say, oh, organic and grass-fed. I'm sorry, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. We need to really, like I said, get out there and get to know our farmers and learn about all these different types of grass fed. A really fabulous book is Nourishment by Dr. Fred Provenza. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful book. It's quite a dense read, but highly recommend every single healthcare practitioner needs to read this and consumers, you know, because what he talks about are these phyto the phytochemical richness of animal meat. Mm -hmm. And he actually published this um, incredible paper along with uh, Dr. Stefan Van Vliet at Duke University and Scott Kronberg called Health Promoting Phytonutrients Are Higher in Grass-Fed Meat and Milk. They also have this awesome diagram that shows the difference between just 
grass-fed, like animals that are basically raised on like a monoculture grass operation. And also sometimes these animals, again, if they're not being managed properly, if they're not, if the rancher or farmer's not adapting, you know, their, their grazing patterns, then they're, they're not taking good care of their land. And they're also maybe not encouraging diversity. But if we have a really diverse pasture, if we have lots of different plant species, we're going to enhance the phytochemical richness of our meat and eggs and dairy and all these animal products. So when I first heard Fred actually use this term of phytochemical richness in me, I was like, phyto means plant. Like, how are we seeing plant chemicals? And it didn't click at first, right? And I really dove into his book and I started to understand that's right. It's kind of common sense. If they're fed, if they're raised in a feedlot, right? A concentrated animal feeding operation, a CAFO, industrial factory farm where they're given corn and soy. Why would we think that would be a healthy animal? If you ate just a few foods for your entire life, you know, would you be optimally healthy? We need diversity, right? For a healthy microbiome, healthy ecosystem, different, different nutrients to vary our nutrient intake. Fred's really famous for saying grass-fed is not grass-fed is not grass-fed. <laughs> and I think that's such a profound quote because we can't just look at these labels in the store anymore and just say, oh, it's grass-fed. No, unfortunately, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of big operations that are totally grass-fed. But again, it varies between, uh, there's sort of the spectrum, right? There's CAFO operations, which are some of the worst where animals are in feedlots. And then there's kind of like monoculture operations where, yeah, they're grass-fed, but they're not really regenerative. Yeah. Or they don't have a lot of species richness, and then we can have um, fully regenerative where we have a lot of species richness. So I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's important to point out, you know, especially as we get into maybe talking about the health benefits of animal products, that this phytonutrient and phytochemical richness of meat is so profound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's new to me. Um, you know, I had been looking at your work before our interview and I, you know, heard you talk about this and it was a light bulb moment for me too, because it was like, we talk about the quality of animal products changing with what they eat and you know all of these things but yeah this is like just this other layer and this like next yeah. deep level like that as we're more connected to nature more connected to these natural rhythms and patterns and um ways of um raising the animals of course they're going to be healthier yeah. right you know and yeah. of course the you know we should think about that with our health you know too and you know I, i'm sure you'll laugh too you know you go to joel's farm and like you know the people who are working there like look so vital and healthy right yeah. you know like so it's like the more you know connected we are to our land and to nature you know our health flourishes as well just to and I know we'll go over this but I know some of my patients or people who are listening are like well oh my gosh like that you know I thought I was looking for the right thing I yeah get, I get organic grass-fed meat is that bad is that good like I you know how do how do we start yeah you know, weeding, you know, through all this and really um, feel confident in the grass-fed animal yeah. products that we're choosing. Absolutely. Yeah. Navigating our food system is so damn complex, isn't it? <laughs> and it is the first conversation I have to have with every patient. I mean, when they come to my office, yeah, the intention is not to overwhelm or to make people feel like, oh man, I'm doing it all wrong. I thought grass-fed was great. You know, we have to go in baby steps, right? I might have someone who's just eating McDonald's, you know, and, yeah. and sometimes I get the really super savvy patients that are already doing all the pasture stuff, but you got to like find out where people are at and meet them where they're at. And then, okay, grass fed in the grocery store is going to be much better than just the conventional burgers you're buying, you know, at Walmart or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's kind of moving people in stages towards the best quality possible. 
But for most people, they're already pretty savvy. Like I said, getting to really know your farmer and start learning from these organizations that are really in, into the regenerative ag space, like understanding and, and just watching the movie Kiss the Ground yeah. Yeah. is going to just so, you know, I think that that movie is like life-changing for some people. I've had patients just feel they walk away from that with so much hope. Because all we hear is the doomsday message about, you know, how bad climate change is, all the carbon we have in the atmosphere, and how bad meat is for the planet, and it's causing cancer and causing inflammation, right? And just just terrible messaging and terrible narrative around meat and and animal agriculture in general. And so what the Kiss the Ground movie is all about, and it's on Netflix, everybody you know, go watch it mm-hmm. and learn, just really learn first what is happening within this space. The movie Magic Pill kind of touches on it, Sacred Cow. There's all this great uh, media out there now that people can learn and read books. And then it's a matter of kind of seeking out those sources. Regeneration International, which is a, a link I could send you to maybe put in your show notes, they have like this farm map. Oh, you can cool. plug in your zip code and try to find a regenerative farmer nearby. and email them, get in touch with that farmer, see if you can take your family there. Those are the connections we need to be building and the the kind of research we each have to do as consumers. If we really want the most optimally healthy food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, really empowering people. And I think I like that idea. And, I, you know, it was, again, being able to go to Polyface and, you know, be there with everyone and with my family. It's making that full circle connection, you know, not feeling so disconnected and disassociated from our food supply. I think it really should be, everybody should connect with that at some point. So, you yeah. know, close the loop of how we're, you know, how we are getting nourished, you know, and I think if we were all faced to go stand at the factory farm, you know, and, you know, see what those animals go through and see, you know, the, the health of the animals, we would have very different behavioral um, practices, yeah. you know, up close to that. So on the flip side, go connect to something, you know, positive and, and beautiful. So Sarah, I'm on the same page as you and I, um, you know, I've, I've learned already so much from you and there's this language and this narrative and even, you know, very well-intended people about vilifying animal protein and vilifying, um, you know, animal products. And so can you help those who might, you know, be still very confused about all of this? You know, what do you believe and what do you see um, through your research and through, you know, the science that you've studied about the, the health impacts of really this regenerative animal product? Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much I could say about that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. First starting off with plant-based meats and just kind of addressing this whole, like I said, narrative around moving towards a plant-based diet. First off, this is dangerous agenda. This is like a global agenda right now that a lot of people aren't aware of. There are some powerful, you know, worldwide organizations involved in this movement to shift us all towards a plant-based diet. And the reason I say it's dangerous is because they are threatening the livelihoods of farmers around this world by trying to end animal agriculture. For example, there's a organization 50 by 40. Their mission is to end at least 50% of animal livestock by 2040. Impossible Foods, they've made no secret about the fact that their mission, their stated mission on their website is to just do away with all animal agriculture by 2035. And again, these are 
you know, people that really need to be tuned in to ecological processes. My background is in ecology and conservation work before I became a functional medicine practitioner. So I just have this profound appreciation for how ecosystems work. And I just can't help but think that the people behind these movements just don't understand ecosystem processes. I think like what you said, they maybe step onto a CAFO operation and say, oh my God, this is horrible. And they think that's how all animal agriculture works. Mm -hmm. So I want to try to just give them the benefit of the doubt and think that, okay, it's well-intentioned, right? <laughs> but it's, it's so frustrating because here's regenerative agriculture and this movement is growing and we're getting louder and they keep push, giving us pushback. But essentially plant-based meats and all this, this movement to do away with animal agriculture is going to destroy really essential soil health principle, right? Livestock on the land are so essential. Animals are part of ecosystems. You know, I think it's so interesting because I, I, they're if they're really concerned with conservation, I would think, well, why don't we have a conversation with the Audubon Society? Alan Williams partnered with the Audubon Society and started a program called Conservation Ranching, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's con it's conservation through ranching by bringing back animals to the land, getting them out of feedlots. Right, if we were to do that and actually get animals back on the land and restore our, our grassland ecosystems, we have all these bird populations now that are thriving. So. So anyway, that's part of the ecology environmental piece of it. And I could go on and on and on about that. But as far as the health aspect of everything, number one, I, I've written articles and I've done webinars and really broken down all the ingredients in these foods and these plant-based meats. And it's, you know, Possible Foods, Beyond Burger, those are Beyond Meats. Those are two of the bigger brands that I, I tend to call out a lot just because they're popular, but they're all the same. All these plant-based meats, they're all the same. They're all full of what I consider to be sometimes pretty toxic ingredients that are causing immune dysfunction for people and gut issues, contaminated with pesticides like glyphosate, which is one of the many toxic compounds in the herbicide Roundup, right, that everybody knows about. Well, yeah. guess what? That's in these plant-based meats. They've, it's actually, there's been some testing done on that that's revealed, you know, some levels of, of glyphosate. Glyphosate's kind of ubiquitous and it's in a lot of food, unfortunately, but this just goes back to food quality. Where's this stuff come from? What's it made out of? Mm -hmm. And what are these plant-based meats doing to restore ecosystems? Mm. Nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. And I point blank ask them that, you know, what are you doing to regenerate ecosystems with your products? I mean, you want to talk about something horrific to look at, go step on a soybean farm, mm. go look at a monocrop corn operation. Where's the insects? Where's the pollinator species? Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like devoid of life and mm -hmm. it's devastating to see soils degraded. You don't have water infiltration into the land and we have flooding and we have all these problems that are generated through conventional agriculture and plant based meats continue to promote that. And then they're just going to generate a whole host of health issues for people. If people decide to make this one of their kind of staple foods in their diet. And we can certainly talk about, you know, the converse, like more of the health benefits behind, you know, adding more regenerative meats in the diet. but. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of additives. There's just um, soy leg hemoglobin, impossible foods products. And this is a brand new novel ingredient that humans have never consumed. It's genetically modified. It's what gives their fake meat this sort of bloody, meaty taste and appearance. Mm. It, it hasn't undergone adequate safety testing. Mm. And yet the FDA has approved it on the market and people are consuming it. Some of the preliminary studies that were done were just studies on mice. And they had some, there were some concerns in some of these studies as far as the, the health effects. So I go into, like I said, a lot of detail in that in, in my uh, three-part mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. article series on the plant-based meats. And I did a lot of research and put a ton of links in there. If people really want to dive into that. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, no, thank you for doing that research and that work. And I just, as you talk, I'm just, you know, like we're trying so hard, you know, with this, you know, novel ingredient to make it look and feel like me, you know, why, why are we trying so hard to recreate something that is just never going to be, you know, adequate um, and, you know, might even put us in the path of poor health when we could you know, just go back, you know, to these common sense principles. And, you know, I want to talk about the health benefits of regenerative meats, but I I think also one of the things that we want to continue to dismantle this idea like that in order to like, I know Joel said like a lot, like, oh, these farmers have this idea that they have to feed the world. And then there's this whole like way of doing agriculture to feed everybody. And I mean, if you, whatever you um, have to say around that, but it's like the you know, these monoculture, big ag farms are, you know, actually, you know, just creating on a death cycle rather than a regenerative yes. cycle. So exactly. does that, any, any comments, because this could be something yeah. new people are thinking about. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the statement that regenerative ag cannot feed the world is a lie. It's a lie. It's a myth. And if we were to really regenerate a lot of our land in this country alone, more than enough to feed people. We don't have a problem with producing enough food. We have a problem with actually, you know, our food system and getting it to people. We don't have a problem. We, if we were to regenerate land throughout this country, it could be so incredibly productive. I mean, you'd be shocked how much food comes out of these small little regenerative operations. It's unbelievable. They, and, and farmers, when they make the transition, what I often hear when I have conversations with them, I told you I go all around the country and travel to different farms and, and I love spending time with farmers and working on their farms and learning from them. And some of them say, it feels like cheating. It's so easy to farm this way compared to what I was doing before, depending on government subsidies and inputs like fertilizers and all these agrochemicals. And I was getting sick, you know, from these chemicals. And now I I feel like it's cheating. I'm producing more food. I'm more profitable. And my land is, you know, regenerating. And I have all these species of animals everywhere and it's beautiful. And they just, you know, they can't even believe it. And so the, the, productivity that comes out of these farms is just incredible. And I I could always reach out for some studies information about that and how statistics that they're out there off the top of my head. But I mean, all you have to do is go to these farms and see there's no problem producing food this way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And, and I, I'm just curious, as we talk to you, is the regenerative agriculture movement, do you feel like there's momentum? Do you feel like with the work, um, however long you've been in this now, I mean, do you feel like, you know, it's gaining traction and momentum? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been in this sort of field for maybe past six, seven years at this point. Mm -hmm. And I certainly see it growing. And like I said, there's concerns a little bit with it getting, you know, greenwashed too, just like other sort of terms. And so bringing it back to a focus on ecosystem health and soil health, I think is the essential messaging. I do see, you know, regenerative ag really growing and, you know, all these wonderful documentaries coming out too, that just, Mm -hmm. that really reach the consumers. So. Yeah, it's growing and it's it's just waking up enough people in time is what I'm really focused on and what a lot of us in this field are really focused on mm-hmm. is because if we can if, if enough consumers are on board, I mean we the people have the power. Mm-hmm. We always do. We have the power as long as we don't go along with this false narrative, this false mainstream narrative that we need to be plant based mm-hmm. and we need to eat this way and you know live our lives this way according to these big conglomerates that really, I'm sorry, are just focused on money. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, so, so true. So let's inspire people about like how all that, you know, about how healthy, you know, these animal products are. So you talked about the phytonutrients, right? About, you know, um, even, you know, these regenerative meats are actually full of phytonutrients, which I didn't know. Um, but what yeah. other, you know, what other healing and health benefits have you um, learned about in your research? Well, and also just even like touch on the phytonutrients a little more, just so people mm-hmm. even understand what those are. I mean, phytonutrients are just a whole, you know, broad class of plant nutrients, essentially, that can include flavonoids and polyphenols, all these different types of antioxidants that are just really essential for a well-functioning like immune system and for gut health and anti-inflammatory processes. So there's so much great research coming out about polyphenols. And I'm sure maybe it was, I think the first time I ever heard someone talk about that was Kiran. He speaks about that in his presentations about the polyphenols and the the beneficial healing effect they have on the gut. And they essentially work as like prebiotics for different microbes. Right. And so I think it's, it's important to talk about that because they don't just come from plant foods anymore. Cause we now know, um, especially based on some of the research that um, Dr. Fred Prevence has been doing that it's, it's, we can get this in animals. We can get some polyphenols from animals. And I'm, I'm really intrigued with kind of like the carnivore diet, right. And how, yeah. how well some people do, because I, I used to be a big like fiber person. And now it's like, okay, I think fiber is a little overrated depending on the person. I'm sure you see this too. I have patients that like, they eat loads of fiber. They do amazing. They love having lots of fiber in their diet and okay. And then you have those other patients that depending on their microbiome or their gut inflammation, like they do not do well with fiber. But what we know now is, you know, the, the fiber fermentation in the gut produces butyrate, which some of your listeners might be familiar with butyrate, but it can help repair and enhance, you know, the, the gut barrier function the function of the intestinal epithelial cells. But I think it's really interesting that protein fermentation in the gut can produce isobutyrate. Mm. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, Lucy Mailings. I don't, yeah, no. She's a PhD researcher that has presented on this a few times. And okay. um, she kind of looks at the effects of high fat diets, like ketogenic diets on gut health. And so, you know, it's this isobutyrate actually can activate some of the same receptors on the colonocytes you know, the colon, the cells that lay in the colon, right? The same receptors that butyrate does. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So it's, she's kind of saying basically like, you know, maybe we don't need as much fiber as we think. It just, the gut is very, you know, the gut's really malleable, right? It can, it can shape to different things and change and adapt based yeah. on what we're eating. And so, so as far as like the other nutrients in animal proteins, I mean, it, some of your listeners may already know this, but I mean like zinc and copper, These are minerals that are really essential for immune system function, and they're in very high quantities in organ meats and Mm -hmm. even just, you know, beef or, you know, red meats. But zinc is so, so critical for the immune system, as well as hundreds of other metabolic functions in the body, right? Zinc and vitamin A, these are some of the things I've presented on in some of my webinars and talks that I've given, just going over all the different nutrients. I have this great table where it it goes over all the different B vitamins and how high they are, like B2 and B3. B6, B12, like liver is off the charts in some of these nutrients. And so if we're going to eat animal products, I encourage my patients all the time to incorporate organ meats into their diet as much as they can. And for some of my patients that are like kind of squeamish about the organ meats, I just tell them, you know, cut up some raw liver, freeze the little bits, cut them up into pill-sized pieces, freeze them and just pop a couple of those and just swallow them. You know, and you're getting some of the nutrients from organ meats that way. But if, you know, people can eat organ meats, that's just one of the most healing foods. And if you look at certain studies that look at nutrient density, different foods, organ meats blow everything out of the water. 
even certain animal proteins and, you know, even dairy, you know, really nutrient dense. So mm-hmm. eggs are a rich source of choline and B vitamins. These are all nutrients we're not going to get in very high quantities sometimes in plant foods. Now, conversely, mm-hmm. there's some plant foods, right? Like vitamin C and magnesium, plant sources rather of these nutrients that we're not going to get really in animal foods. So vitamin C and magnesium and potassium are, are ones that stand out in my mind as foods that are nutrients rather that we're going to get more so in plant foods. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's, I just, as you talk, it's, you know, like I went to naturopathic school and when we think about like, you know, healing the gut, you know, like the conversations were, you know, around like juicing and, you know, all of these, you know, things that, you know, not like hearing the list of, you know, all of the nutrients and gut healing nutrients in, you know, meat, you know, as we've yeah. seen, my patients have taught me, I mean, some of my patients go on the carnivore diet and they're, they're completely better. You know, yeah. their gut inflammation decreases you know, they mm-hmm. feel better. Yeah. The, this is a, you know, a way to understand what's happening. Right. Uh, so yeah. it, it's again, the quality and the type of food is going to be very, you know, the contents could be very different, right? This is not the yeah. meat. It's the regenerative agricultural meat that we're right. talking about. Yeah. And that's, and I should say that, yeah, I mean, it, In one respect, I agree with the folks that are on the side of, you know, pushing for (laughs) plant-based sort of eating that they're trying to end industrial animal agriculture primarily, right? And Mm -hmm. I think most of us can agree that is not what we need more of. We need to shift towards regenerative practices and free the animals, get them out of the feedlots, get them back onto the land. And so I, you know, of course, looking at how patients do eating just kind of like CAFO meats, I mean they could probably still get some nutrients from that meat. There's going to be nutrition there. Right. But I I worry about, you know, what about the hormones, antibiotics, antibiotics in particular, right. Hormones are more concerned with dairy, you know, all these other things, glyphosate, we know that some CAFO, you know, some of the feed in the CAFOs, the livestock feed, super high in glyphosate Mm -hmm. and, you know, God only knows what other chemicals, right. Glyphosate gets a lot of attention. There's, there's so many other toxic compounds used in agricultural systems. So that all can wind up in meat and dairy of these animals that are raised that way in industrial settings. So it's really important to differentiate that. So I'm glad you <laughs> because yeah, we can't just, you know, go out and eat a bunch of meat without really knowing the, the quality of it. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's important to understand that. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate the dairy piece, you know, um, be, you know, being obviously a functional medicine practitioner and, you know, dealing with, you know, autoimmunity and all the things people come to see, how do you navigate the dairy piece? Do you feel like, of course it's individual, but I'm just curious your exploration and your, um, yeah, just how you uh, recommend dairy to people. Such a good question. Yeah. Cause I personally don't do a lot of dairy. I confirmed it with some pretty advanced food sensitivity testing and we, you've, we've talked about some of the testing that I use and some of that testing you got to take with a grain of salt, but there's a lab that I feel is pretty reliable. And I personally had high levels um, to um, of reactivity to dairy. And I have, I have a little bit of psoriasis mm-hmm. and I noticed when I did get rid of dairy, it cleared up. And whenever mm-hmm. I have like a little bit of dairy, sometimes a few days in a row, it'll flare up again. And yeah. I've tried like the best of the best. So I tell people if they're going to do dairy, try to get raw if you can from A2 cows, that's 100% grass-fed, you know, again, know your farmer. And if it's not perfectly grass-fed, I'm not going to sit here and um, split hairs over whether it's, you know, regenerative or not, right? Just at least make sure it's 100% grass-fed and not grain-finished and, you know, the best quality dairy you can get. And do some testing and and look at your symptoms. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. people have to realize if, you know, and I work with a lot of autoimmune patients too, and 
if, if things are not clearing up when we've done extensive amount of gut healing and, you know, cleaning up their diet in other ways, they're still kind of latching on to dairy. I'm like, okay, you got to get rid of the dairy and see what happens or, you know, do some testing and let's roll it out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people are going to do dairy. I, I have some sources locally here in Maryland and Pennsylvania where mm-hmm. I send people to that I know are like really solid farmers and have amazing dairy. And every once in a while, I still eat dairy. Mm-hmm. I just definitely don't do it anymore on a daily basis. But yeah, I will definitely, definitely have some dairy. <laughs> Thank you. I know people are thinking about that, right? And while, while yeah. people are talking, the dairy question is always a big one. And feel free to share, you know, the um, lab too that you like, because um, sure, yeah. you know, what, what lab testing are you most excited about to fine tune if people have those sensitivities? I love Vibrant and we should talk about eggs for a minute too. Um, So I love Vibrant's uh, food zoomers. I just really think, you know, there's no one perfect test, right? I mean, we all know that every test has its shortcomings and I think theirs is pretty spot on. Um, I guess what they do differently is sort of zooming in at the peptide level Mm -hmm. to look at food sensitivities at the peptide level versus the protein level. So it's a lot more precise. I do feel like it matches up a lot, you know, with sensitivities and whatnot, but I would say, you know, a lot of people have dairy issues, but at least half my patients have issues with eggs as well. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about eggs. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, you know, it's like always the biggest bummer. I feel like that one's like the big heartbreaker. People are like, okay, I can give up the gluten. I can give up the dairy, but then like eggs, like people love eggs and I love eggs too. So I get it. Yeah. The eggs, it doesn't matter in that case, the quality because if you're reacting to the proteins, right, especially if you're having an IgA reaction, and we know that's probably more, you know, those mucosal tissues and probably inflaming the gut eggs, you know, it, it's, it's just like, it doesn't matter the quality. It doesn't matter if they're from a perfectly pasture raised chicken. And we'll, we'll talk about poultry because I think that's extremely important, but yeah, eggs just, you kind of have to omit some foods for a while. And my whole approach with that is not to think of it as like, I always tell my patients, it's not a life sentence. I'm not telling you to stay away from this for the rest of your life. Just omit it from your diet for a few short months. Let's keep working on gut healing, getting your immune system modulated, all that good stuff. Right. And then maybe try to reintroduce the food later. And I do see that some people can restore their kind of tolerance to the food and they're not sensitive to it anymore. Mm-hmm. Wheat is the only exception. I think once you're kind of sensitive to wheat, you're going to be sensitive to that forever. Although I've, I've heard some practitioners say otherwise, but with eggs and dairy, mm-hmm. it seems more plausible to restore your resiliency to be able to eat those foods again without creating an immune system reaction or some gut inflammation. And with poultry, I mean, that's, that's a huge topic too. And this is where the labeling drives me bonkers. And this is not to pick on any consumer because believe me, I was in the same boat of thinking, oh, cage-free, free range. That's a good thing, right? There's a lot of confusing labeling around poultry, um, chicken, turkey, eggs, though you see cage-free and free range. And this is where I, I wish I was almost in a webinar because then I pull up diagrams and it's so much easier to show people, yeah. right? But when you have free range, it just means, okay, they're out on, maybe they're in a dirt lot. <laughs> maybe they're not even in a pasture, you know, picking at the grass and eating bugs. Chickens are omnivores. Okay. And I'm saying this because I want people to understand that if they see a label on chicken that says vegetarian fed, <laughs> don't eat that chicken. Cause I don't guarantee you they've been given cor- loads of corn and soy. My biggest concern is soy because we do know that there's some evidence that the, the soy phytoestrogens can translate into chicken eggs and chicken tissue. So people are soy sensitive. They could actually be kind of reacting to eggs, you know, from that standpoint, a lot of chicken, I would say like, I saw some statistic that like 98 to 99% of chicken is all from an industrial farm. And again, this is where organic 
gets really frustrating too. the organic label. Well, I get organic chicken. Isn't that good? Yeah. No, that means they were, could have been in a CAFO too. They could have been in a concentrated animal feeding operation in a big old building. They never even see the light of day, mm-hmm. but guess what? They were given organic corn and organic soy. Therefore oh. they're organic. No, that's all the trickery that happened in our food system, right? It's just like, give it a little fancy label and people think it's healthy. We have to look past the labels. What was Joel's new book, right? Like beyond labels, beyond right? labels, yeah. got to get beyond the labels. And, and that's kind of what he talks about too, is getting to know your farmer and having community and, and having that relationship with your farmer. But it, it's like, we can't just trust the labels anymore, guys. We can't mm-hmm. like, we have to, the, the best thing that we can do is try to at least pick out pasture raised, but even some of the top like pasture raised chicken eggs, I've emailed them and said, can you tell me if they're soy free? And they say, no, they're, they do get some soy in their feed. So, so mm-hmm. what I want to clarify for your listeners too, is that ruminant animals, they have special stomachs actually where they grass. They don't get any grain. Okay. They're meant to eat grass. They're grass eaters and they eat a variety of grasses. Um, chickens on the other hand, like I said, are omnivores, right? So they love bugs. Um, they, they do actually eat a little bit of grass. They'll pick at the grass, um, but they can eat grains. So they'll eat anything. See with pigs, they're omnivores. So that's where it gets a little tricky with the labeling around pork and around poultry, especially, you know, cause you don't know if they were given soy or not. You know, of course the CAFO beef and all that can be given those things too, but you know, you're not going to find like a hundred percent grass-fed chicken that doesn't really exist. They do need some extra protein to complement their diet. So that's just one thing to put on everyone's radars. And again, I know it sounds like splitting hairs and it's, it's probably stressful to think about like, Oh, I thought I was doing everything right. But again, this is just trying to get people to think about our, our food system in a different way and, and to look past the labels. Yeah, no, I even loved how Joel was like, if they have a fancy label, just forget it, you know, because they're spending money on marketing and, you know, not. Yes, exactly. I remember saying that too. Yeah. Yeah, that was, a, you know, an eye opening thought. No, I, I mean, I, I think, of course, you know, whenever we hear new information, it can be a lot and we can be reflective. I'm like, oh my gosh, but it's also really empowering. And I think that, as you said, you know, we can really help change. The industry, right? The, the more demand there is, the more um, awareness, and then the more change happens. And so I think, you know, looking at this from a, you know, really empowering, you know, viewpoint. So Sarah, as as we, you know, I mean, I could talk to you all day, of course, um, but as we wrap up, um, you know, what are, I mean, you've given us a lot to digest and a lot to think about and a lot to, you know, dig deeper and dive deeper into, you know, asking questions about what we're eating, but, you know, thinking about like the landscape we're in, right. You know, we're, you know, coming out of this pandemic, hopefully there's this big divide in conversation around plant-based foods versus initiative to get rid of the livestock agriculture movement, right? You know, they're trying to reduce this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are these polarities. And on the other side, there's, you know, these beautiful documentaries, this really um, blooming, you know, field of regenerative agriculture. So we're kind of in this pivotal point, you know, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, we could go in all these different directions. And so how would you suggest people really channel this knowledge and their energy to create, you know, change within their family or even looking and changing, you know, in their community? How, how do you inspire people to really have hope and feel really, you know, part of this process um, to heal, you know, really our, our land right now? Absolutely. Heal our land, heal our ecosystems, heal our animals and heal us. I mean, it really starts with just self-education. Get yourself up to speed. Check out the resources that I mentioned. Just watch the documentaries, watch them with your family, watch them again. 
watch them with your friends, tell people about it, have conversations at dinner about it, talk about where your food came from as you're at the dinner table. You know, mm-hmm. the more you make it part of your daily life, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's going to change the world and it's just going to spread. That is how we create change, right? Mm-hmm. So it starts with yourself, get yourself up to speed, just get a little bit of awareness just to be able to speak to it a bit. And then, you know, and then share it, just share it, share it, share it. Cause that, like I said, we have the power as the people we do and we drive the change, but it just has to start with the awareness. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a lot of hope and faith in this this whole field of regenerative ag and it's, it gave me, you know, it it just, it filled my heart with so much hope, right? So much hope. And I started learning about the power of what this can really do to transform our planet because I was so depressed, you know, I was in a really dark place of feeling like, God, we're never going to turn things around on this planet. Mm -hmm. I really believe this can do it. And I've seen it, you know, I've been to these farms so many times and I've seen it. Mm -hmm. So we have to get behind our farmers. We have to support them as much as we can. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, we have a, you know, we have a lot of work to do, but I'm hopeful as well. And I just so appreciate all the research and passion you put into um, sharing this awareness and you've taught me and everyone who's listening. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Sarah, people want to, you know, connect with you. What's the best way they can find out more about your work? They can email me at Sarah without an H, Sarah (laughs) at eco-nutrition.com. And you can also find my work on understandingag.com. And that's where they, I have um, my articles posted and there's some webinars we have on YouTube as well. So there's a webinar I've done on the plant-based meats. And um, the latest one I did was the soil and human microbiomes, which is one of my favorite topics. So, and connect with me on Facebook if you'd like to. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. We'll have all of that information in the show notes. And I can't thank you enough today for your time. Thank you so much, Christine. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Sarah Keogh. I hope you learned a lot and feel inspired by going deeper into understanding regenerative agriculture, as well as where your food came from. Please check out the websites and the links provided in the show notes. Have a beautiful day.